Well, we heard recently from Oregon Offensive Coordinator Will Stein after practice about a couple philosophical notes, and as that pertains to the offense, he should be keeping it the same as a year ago. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day in your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. I appreciate all of you out there over the last couple months leading up to football season, which is right around the corner. Numbers have been great. Appreciate all of you. We'll talk about the linebackers. We'll talk about the California Golden Bears as an opponent later in the show, but I want to talk about the offense first. So Will Stein, Oregon's new offensive coordinator, who's come over this offseason to replace Kenny Dillingham, Arizona State's head coach. Will Stein came over from UTSA, where he was the OC and quarterbacks coach. He holds the same title with the Ducks. And since Dan Lanning is more of a defensive guy, Will Stein is the highest ranking offensive coach on the staff and the most important hire that Dan Lanning makes. And with the success that Kenny Dillingham had a year ago, philosophically, and Stein has hinted at this before, he should not be trying to reinvent the wheel. And I don't think he will because Dan Lanning is still the head coach. It's not as if he has no say on the offense or doesn't have any input as to what is happening on that side of the ball, what they want to do, what they want to accomplish, how that complements the defense and all that sort of stuff. But there were a couple quotes that Stein gave after practice recently that I thought were were notable. The first one was that they run with a variety of tempos in our offense. That's what he said, you know, quote, variety of tempos in our offense, end quote. That was kind of the part of it. That wasn't necessarily the start and end, but you understand what I'm trying to communicate here. I liked that. I, I think being able to have drives where you go fast and play in rhythm but also having the ability to slow the game down, play a little ball control is is a good thing to be able to have. And I think we saw that from Oregon's offense a season ago. But the second quote is what stood out to me the most, or at least the one that I wrote down. I only wrote down a couple quotes because I only thought they were uh, the ones that were worth talking about. But he said that what they do offensively and what they want to do in this offense is it starts with running the football. And that's what Oregon's offense, make no mistake about it, was a season ago. They were a run-first team that also had the ability, when they needed to, like against Washington State, or when they wanted to, they could throw the football. But when you look at, I think it was the Stanford game last year, Oregon ran for more yards than they threw for. You know why? Because the run game was working so well because Stanford was not a very good defense a year ago, and it was at Autzen Stadium, and we should be able to get similar results when we play them in our second conference game of the year after Colorado in Week 5. That's what Dan Lanning is looking at offensively and saying, okay, if we're able to do this with a great amount of success and they can't stop us, we're not going to suddenly start throwing the football. Now, other offenses see it the other way, right? USC, Washington, that's how they operate. But Oregon is, hey, if you're not going to stop us, we'll run the football on third and eight. We'll run it on third and nine if we feel like we can. They did that several times against Stanford. And I think everyone kind of got the wrong idea with the Mario Cristobal offense in 2021 because he was also a run first sort of coach. 
I think the flaw there in the offensive philosophy was that they weren't willing to open it up and throw the ball down the field as much. They didn't utilize play action in the way that they could have. Maybe it was personnel-based, but I think it was more philosophy-based. I mean, Anthony Brown, I was messaging with one of you uh, the other day, he's still on the Ravens roster, and the Ravens are a really well-run organization, and they keep him around as a potential quarterback. I mean, he played a season ago in the NFL. We wouldn't have thought that that had happened. So I think that that's a good place for Oregon to be offensively, is have a run-first approach, but understand that if you need to throw the football, then you need to throw the football. But what Oregon did a season ago, and why I don't think they should be changing, is that it worked really, really well. So Oregon a year ago was fourth in the conference in points per game at 38.8. They were third in the conference in rushing yards per game. They were one of just three teams that ran on average for over 200 yards a game a season ago. The others, Utah, the Pac-12 champs, and UCLA, they were a good football team. And Oregon was fourth in uh, the the conference in in passing yards per game, but they didn't even average 300 yards per. So Arizona was was third in passing yards per game a year ago, 318. Oregon was fourth at 284. So there there was a pretty sizable drop-off there. But I don't need to see that number go up because we saw the best version of Bo Nix a season ago. And now Bo Nix is all over the country. He's in New York. He's in Dallas. I might talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. But... We saw the best version of Bo Nix, and and part of what made him the most effective football player to date in his career in 2022 was that he had a supporting cast around him that was able to complement what he did, supplement, and support him. So he wasn't asked to do everything and play hero ball and throw for 300 plus yards every single game like he did at Auburn. Now, it's something we know he's capable of doing. He had several 300-yard passing games last year. But to say that we need him to do that game in and game out, that's not what the Ducks did a year ago. And the offense was very, very successful. And so going into this year, I know there are a couple questions on the offensive line, but there's enough talent to be able to run the football the way they did a year ago, set up your play action pass game, and take some shots down the field. I I think that's a great place for Oregon to be. I think that fits with the identity of the football team that Dan Lanning wants to build program-wide is he wants the defense to be really good, right? He wants them to look like Georgia, It would be my guess, which is a really, really dominant defense and a very capable offense that can make explosive plays, gets good quarterback play, but isn't reliant on quarterback play. So I think that that's where I would like Oregon's offense to be philosophically. Looks like that's where Will Stein is at. And I think that's the right place to be at. So hopefully that all materializes in a positive way. I am very curious next Saturday when we line up against Portland State to see how different the offense is. Because we saw a lot more pistol in the spring game, I think, than, you know, as a percentage of the plays that were run compared to what we saw a year ago. We saw a little bit of it, but not not a whole heck of a lot. So I wonder, and I look at, you know, what, what Will Stein ran at UTSA as the offensive coordinator and say, that's certainly different than what Oregon did at uh, at at in Eugene a year ago. Like they were different. UTSA was a little bit more pass heavy, but that might have been personnel dependent. I don't know. This isn't locked on UTSA. This, of course, is locked on Ducks. I will say though, on on the Will Stein note, you know, 
he was saying good things about the offense and, you know, what he liked and what he was seeing and all that sort of stuff. And admittedly, I don't know him super well. In fact, I've never met him before. I also haven't seen him talk on too many occasions. He might just be a lower energy guy. But I wonder if there aren't still a couple things that he wants to get worked out before he feels really good. Because it kind of seemed like he was saying positive things. But then his face was kind of saying something else. I might be reading too much into it. You can go watch it for yourself. But it seemed like he was projecting confidence while internally knowing there's still things to work on. My guess is that would be offensive line related because of the turnover there that, you know, from from a season ago and the new guys that they're incorporating. But, by the way, I also saw a photo of Jackson Powers Johnson snapping the ball to Bo Nix. No surprise there. So, I, I, I'm, I'm curious about that and why, you know, if, again, I'm probably reading too much into it. If I'm not and I'm correct, then... I'm very much glad that we play Portland State in uh, week one because the offense needed to work out some kinks a year ago. Looked a heck of a lot better at the midpoint in the season when Oregon was on the eight-game heater than it did in week one against Georgia for various reasons. That was opponent-based, but also kind of kind of Oregon-based as well. So on the defensive side of the ball, Oregon has got a linebacking unit that I, I feel better about, I'll say, there's an unproven element uh, to to what to what they're looking to do this year, in in terms of taking a step forward from a season ago, and we got to talk about that. But we got to talk about BetterHelp as well, because if you're thinking of starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. If you've ever wanted to talk things over, if you've ever wanted to get better at something in in life, you just want someone to kind of be there. BetterHelp is the way to go. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So if you're struggling with something in your personal life, or if you wanted to get something off your mind or get it off your chest, this is a great place to do it. So go check out BetterHelp. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash college today. You can get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash college. Do we need to talk about the second segment SIP? No, we all understand how important that is. And we all know as well how important linebackers are to a defense. Now, I can make the argument pretty easily, I would say, that having a great defense does not require great linebackers. I think a great defense requires great defensive linemen and great corners and safeties are in the mix as well, but you need great defensive linemen and great corners and maybe one great safety. However, great linebackers help you have a great defense. So, This unit overall a season ago for the Ducks was not good. Let's just come out and call a spade a spade. Noah Sewell was good. I know everyone wants to pretend that he was not a good football player. He wasn't as good as he was in in previous seasons. I'll give you that. He was still a second-team All-Pac-12 nominee. And I think Oregon's defense would have been worse if he hadn't been there uh, a year ago. And I don't know that he was playing at, at full health as the season went on. He might end up starting for the Bears this year. He was drafted in the fifth round of Chicago. I think it's a really, really good fit for him. But anyway, he's not there anymore. 
Jeffrey Bossa is the only returner who played significant snaps in 2022. So last year, there were five linebackers who played legitimate snaps in meaningful situations that I can remember, that you can remember, and that PFF can remember as well. Now, these snap counts varied. They weren't all the same, but these were guys who at any point in time could have been on the field when the game was still on the line. Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, Jeffrey Bossa, Jackson LaDuke, and Keith Brown. Only guy back out of that group, Jeffrey Bossa. LaDuke, Portal, Flo, Portal, Brown, Portal, Sewell, NFL. So insert guys like Justin Jacobs, Jamal Hill coming down from safety, Connor Swelly from Arizona State, and then a couple of newcomers that we haven't yet seen who have got very real potential but are unproven at this point in time. And as a whole, this unit has, I think, solid potential. I don't know that it's the highest ceiling in the world. I think Justin Jacobs is kind of the wild card here because he is at some level on the same career path as Justin Flo. So he wasn't as highly touted a recruit, but he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school when he committed to Iowa, which is a great defensive program year in and year out. They don't take defensive players who can't who can't make things happen. So that's a point of, I, I think, an encouraging sign as it pertains to what Jacobs could be this year. But when he was in Iowa, he didn't play a lot because of injuries. But when he did play, he was very, very good. And they thought before he transferred to Oregon that he was going to be one of their big linebackers going into this year. He was going to be that last year. He started a couple games. He got hurt. He was done for the season. He's since transferred, of course, to the Ducks and is probably going to be one of our top linebackers. But depth at this position group, I think, is going to be vital for two reasons. Number one, injuries, right? Anyone can get hurt at a linebacking position, right? Linebacker, running back, you see injuries. You see guys get dinged up because they're just getting hit a lot. So that's the first part. But the second part is one of the guys who you're expecting or who we are expecting as Oregon fans to be a key player next year in Justin Jacobs already comes in with an injury history there. So the depth at this position group and whether or not they brought in enough from the portal and whether or not they are developing enough from from the high school ranks for kids who you know have been in the system for zero or, or, or one years, who the two guys we'll get to in just a moment, whether or not they're ready, whether or not they can be good enough players, or whether or not a player like Jeff Bossa can be better than he was a season ago, that remains to be seen. So it's the most interesting group on defense from an unknown standpoint, I think. I, you can maybe go corners there. I, I think defensive line, which I talked about yesterday, tad more predictable in terms of who's going to be a major player, but I'd say either linebacker or corner, most up in the air position groups in terms of playing time right now. So Oregon running a 4-2-5 has got four down linemen. Well, not specifically, but four guys that are lining up on the line of scrimmage on, on every play, at least two linebackers and five defensive backs, just for people who don't know. So there are going to be Five guys throughout the course of the year. Remember, I listed the five from last year. No reason to indicate it won't be the same sort of situation this year. And some guys certainly played more than others. But no reason in to see that there aren't going to be a similar number of players getting in at the linebacker spot. So let's go through who those guys could be. You've got Justin Jacobs. You've got Jamal Hill. You've got Connor Soli. You have uh, Devin Jackson. 
the redshirt freshman, four-star guy coming out of Omaha, high speed, looked pretty good in the spring game. And then you have Jerry Mixon as well, who is a true freshman in the 2023 class. He's the only, you know, real linebacker, like second level linebacker, not an outside linebacker who's like, you know, an edge player like a Mace Funa or a Tatum Tuioti or a Mateo Uyangalule. Not that kind of guy, but an actual second level linebacker. Jerry Mixon's the only guy that they brought in to the room from the high school ranks for 2023. So at the Mac linebacker position, there's the Mac and there's the money backer. And my understanding is that the Mac is kind of the, the signal caller, the guy who is making uh, defensive play calls, getting it in from the sideline, getting everybody lined up and everything like that. I could frankly see that being Justin Jacobs or Jeffrey Bassa. Now, Bassa was the you know secondary linebacker to Noah Sewell a year ago, but he's the most experienced. Like Jeffrey Bassa has the most snaps at linebacker of any of the guys in in this room i think solely when he was at arizona state played some uh linebacker and some at safety but still boss's snap count a year ago was higher than anybody else at the linebacker position right jamal hill i think was uh, close for total snaps but jamal hill was playing safety last year so i think at the mac linebacker position as i get into my uh, prediction for this particular group i think justin jacobs is probably your starting mac linebacker there right he's I think sliding in to take Noah Sewell's spot. And, and I say that because of the upside that he presents, but also the caliber of player that he that he is coming into it, right? He was a four-star recruit. He graded as a four-star transfer on 24-7 sports as well. That was a guy who could have been a big-time player in a legit defense at Iowa. They are a big-time defensive school. They had one of the best defenses in the country. I think the best defense in the country, one of them a year ago, I don't think you bring in a guy of that caliber from that sort of school if he's not going to be your most important linebacker there. So I think Justin Jacobs is your starting backer. I think the guy backing him up is Jamal Hill. Because typically, at least from what we saw a year ago, the Mac backer was a little bit bigger than the money linebacker. So you kind of had one guy who might be a little better against the run and one guy who might be a little bit better in coverage. But Dan Lanning talked about, and he is correct, that you have to have linebackers who can do everything because that's what the offense has got. You've got versatility everywhere. You've got running backs that can play receiver. You've got tight ends that can line up at wide receiver. And you've got offensive coordinators who will match up receivers on the linebackers from, from time to time if they know what they're doing. So that that's something that has to be displayed from this group is greater versatility, greater consistency, and capability to, to make plays, not just in the ground game, but in coverage as well. So I think Jacobs and Hill, uh, I think Jacobs is your starting Mac backer. I think Jamal Hill is his immediate backup, and I think he'll play quite a bit this season. I think at the money spot, they played Jeffrey Bossa a lot last year. Even though he struggled, they still kept playing him. And I think for a reason, he's bulked up considerably, not on accident. And I still think if he can get into the right flow within the defensive system, I still like his upside. When he makes really good plays, explosive, high impact plays, it looks different. It looks like a guy who's a part of a high level defense, but then he'll vanish at times or he'll get burned in times. He'll get lost in coverage. Those are the areas where he has to improve. But I think Boss will be your other starting backer. And I think he'll be backed up by Devin Jackson because Lanning is uh, someone who is not always the chattiest per se. So when he does mention a specific name, that catches my attention. 
And he mentioned Devin Jackson on more than one occasion, either throughout spring ball or, or, or fall camp when talking about the linebackers. I think it was back in spring. But Jackson's a guy who is, I think, ready to make a step in his playing time. He only played you know, a handful of snaps uh, a, se- a season ago in his true freshman year. But I think that that, that speed component is something that he brings to the table. And I, I'm just, I've always been a believer in Devin Jackson. Uh, I know Jared Mack over on the Outs and Audibles podcast is the um, unofficial leader of the Devin Jackson fan club. I'll, I'll be your chief of staff, Jared, if you're listening to or watching this the show. So um, I'm on board. I, I think Jackson will be there. That's me believing in him. Might not play out that way. But the other two linebackers, Jerry Mixon, Connor Sully, you know, Sully uh, as the ASU transfer, more likely to play than Mixon for sure. But I wouldn't be shocked if because of injuries in in this particular position group, if Mixon ended up seeing a little bit of action here and there this season. As always, curious as to your thoughts, drop them in the YouTube comments below or hit me up on uh, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. One of you hit me up and told me something that I was just... There's there's a term, there's a specific term for what I did. The term that I'm using right now, though, is a direct plug to go over to FanDuel because football season is about to kick off literally this Saturday. We're going to have college football. I know it's not going to be the most glorious stretch of matchups this Saturday, but then the next Saturday it will be because it'll have Oregon in it and you can go win on FanDuel all season long. Right now you can bet college football or when you bet a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. When we double up on the live reads, we got to double up on the sips. That's the rarely seen, but always welcome third segment sip. So uh, Rex pointed this out to me on a recent episode of the show. And what there, there's a term for this. I'll get to it after I read the comment. Um, again, mailbag, YouTube comments or Twitter, always available. Hey, Spencer, quick question. A couple of weeks ago, somebody asked about your fantasy football lineup, Duck Edition. And it was kind of an all-time list. How could you leave Kiko Alonso off the linebacker list? Speaking of that position group. Uh, Rex, it's a great question. And there's, there's a term for this. It's called an oversight. That's it. I'm just going to leave it right there. All right, let's talk about Cal. So the California Golden Bears are the next team in the schedule as I've been uh, kind of going through over past shows that that Oregon will play after after Utah. And, you know, Utah's got a big question. Is Cam Rising going to be healthy going into this year? I guess we're going to find out. But after Oregon plays at Utah, they come back home the next week and they host Cal. And they get to host a Pac-12 opponent in three of their last four weeks of the season. Cal at home, USC at home the following week on November 11th. Then they go at ASU, and then they host Oregon State in the game formerly known as the Civil War. So that game against Cal begs the question, what sort of challenge does Cal present, if any at all? Last year, it was not a challenging game once Oregon got things going. We went down to the Bay Area, got stopped on fourth down early, it was a close game, yada, yada, yada. It was 35 to 10. So 
That was a Cal team that ended the year 4-8. and eight. Many of you know, I host Locked On Pac-12. I am uncharacteristically and unusually, perhaps unreasonably high on the California Golden Bears going into the season. Now, I have gotten some intel from someone that I will call a well-placed source at the California Golden Bears spring practices, who has expressed to me concern about the quarterback situation because as I record this show late on the night of August 21st, 2023, Cal has not named a starting quarterback because the guy they brought in, who I like in terms of potential, Sam Jackson the fourth, a transfer from TCU, great athlete, big arm, but very raw and unrefined, is in a legitimate quarterback battle with Ben Finley. That doesn't make me feel great about having hyped up Cal for the last many, many months on the show. However, there are still characteristics about this team that I think are noteworthy. Because Justin Wilcox is coaching with the most pressure and the hottest seat, regardless of what's going to happen in realignment here shortly. Perhaps we don't really know on that front. He's coaching with most pressure going into this year. He got a big extension. Ahead of last season because he looked at the Oregon job. We offered it to him. He turned it down. Parlayed that into an extension with Cal. They proceeded to go 4-8. and eight. So that wasn't what they were looking for. They do, have, they do have some standards apparently down at Cal, which is nice to see. Because Cal at their peak can be a very good football program. We have seen it in the pack. Don't tell me it can't happen. I've seen it happen. I remember once upon a time Cal walked into Autzen Stadium, ranked 6th in the country in 2009. Yeah, that was a fun day. A lot of Oregon fans remember what happened there. We were in some good-looking retro unis, and Ed Dixon had quite the day. If fantasy college had been a thing back then, Ed Dixon would have been a winner. Anyway, so I look at Cal and say, okay, I don't love that they don't know their quarterback situation at this point in time. However, their offensive line was terrible a year ago. They've revamped it in the portal. They brought in a new offensive line coach. Their offense wasn't very good a year ago. They brought in a new offensive coordinator, and they actually do have very capable weapons. Jay Knott's a really good running back. Unfortunately, our old friend Byron Cardwell suffered an injury out for the year, but they brought in another running back in the portal from Tennessee, and they've got a couple of really nice receivers, and they always seem to have solid tight end play too. And their OC, Jake Spavadol, was the head coach at Texas State, but before that, he was the offensive coordinator at Cal in 2016, back when they were good, when they were putting up points. So... He's had success in Berkeley before. He hasn't worked with Justin Wilcox specifically, but the OC change needed to happen. It did. They needed to revamp the offensive line. They did. Their defense was not as good as it usually is a year ago, but they returned Brett Johnson, who's one of the best defensive linemen in the entire conference when he is healthy. He missed all last season with an injury. And Cal every single year, if you watch a California coach secondary, they're always really, really good. They are always top half of the league. Doesn't matter if you know their names or not. They're going to be top half of the league. That's Wilcox's specialty on the defensive side of the ball. In the same way that Mario Cristobal was an offensive coach. But what was his specialty? The offensive line. That's Wilcox with DBs. I think his DBs are always really well coached. And his defenses are usually quite well schemed. Now they need the personnel to match up sometimes. And they don't always have that. But they do have an anchor at the middle linebacker position in Jackson Sermon, who's an all-conference player. They have Brett Johnson, who is literally a first-team all-Pac-12 caliber player when he's healthy and at his best. So I see the ingredients to have a bounce-back season defensively, and they have addressed 
their concerns from a year ago. Now the question is the the quarterback is the outstanding question there, but I don't think that's a football team that Oregon is going to easily build a 35 to 10 lead over. Now maybe it happens because we're at Autzen Stadium, but I think Cal is a better football team this year. I do not think they're good enough to beat the Ducks. I don't know if they're good enough to beat or to to give Oregon a really tough game at Autzen Stadium, though I've seen them do it before. Under this very head coach, I've seen them do it twice as a matter of fact. Wilcox, the defensive guy, he just muddies up the game, plays ball control, wants to play defense, solid special teams. We did block a field goal theirs last year, but that was gonzo. So I just look at the Cal game and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not that worried about it. But I don't expect it to be quite as easy as last year. That's where I feel about the Bears. You know how I feel about being another day closer to the season? fan-freaking-tastic. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and as always, go Ducks.